Hi, this is Money Honestly. I'm Jana Heron, and joining us today are Dara Singh and Denitza Tekova, reporters on my team at Yahoo Money and Cache. We'll be talking about how the economic recovery from the coronavirus pandemic is different for lower income Americans and higher earners. So let's go back to the spring when this pandemic really took hold. And at that time, it seemed like a lot of people were feeling the economic pain from both that and the ensuing shutdowns across the country. So for background's sake, what happened then and how did it affect um, Americans? Well, I would say in the beginning of the pandemic, everyone um, felt the hit of it. The stock market was plummeting. um, People were um, losing a big chunks of their income. And then the bottom, you see a lot of people losing their jobs, being laid off. There was initially there was no additional unemployment benefits. So there was a lot of uncertainty. And, um, you know, the financial struggle was real for every income bracket. But what we slowly see as the economy and people recover is uh, that the recovery is not as even as the initial hit. We see that high income earners, um, their stock portfolios are back, um, uh, house prices are rising, and they're closer to where they were before the pandemic or maybe even better off. While we still have a really high unemployment rate, uh, we have 27 million Americans who are currently unemployed and receive unemployment benefits. And those people are really struggling. And actually for some of them, it may be getting worse now because a lot of the protections under the CARES Act are expiring. Um, So for them, the recovery may take months and years, while for high-income earners, we see some people that have already returned to where they were. So let's break this down a bit. You talked about stock portfolios. So let's talk about the stock market. Like you said in the beginning, we saw it plummet. Um, Very scary. People probably worried about their retirement savings. But now it's at new highs. You have the S&P 500 recently eclipsing its February record and appears to not be stopping on its way up. <laughs> so what does this mean and who has this helped? This has definitely helped um, predominantly from the economists. We've talked to kind of your rich white Americans, to be honest. A lot of the wealth is accumulated in that top 10%. And you know who this really leaves behind is actually a lot of minorities, you know, you know, there's some statistics out there that show that 98.4% of black Americans actually don't own any stocks as at all. And, you know, it's just as the S&P grows, these people are going to be left behind in the stock market, in this wealth accumulation, as well as other areas. Right. And then if they try to get in, while the stock market is at highs, you know, more of their money is going to buy those stocks that um, people got at a much cheaper price before. Um, Dara, do you know what, um, with 401ks, like, you know, that's a big way people are in the stock market is who has 401ks and who doesn't? Yes, but believe it or not, a lot of people in, let's say, the service industries, they might not have 401ks. You know, you're really looking at people who still have their jobs, who are in, you know, corporate America, like, let's say they work at banks, they work at these, you know, um, top industries, but 
since the majority of people, as Denitza, you know, has re really laid out in previous articles, since they belong in the service industry, these are people who are going to be missing out on getting that employer match during the pandemic. Right, right. And let's move to housing, which is another area of the economy where things have rebounded really quickly. Um, Dara, can you tell us what is happening there? First, like, you know, what happened during the pandemic, like in April, what, what happened with housing, where it is now, what's driving it, and who's this helping? Yeah, so when, under the, um, when forbearance protections were passed, we saw really an unprecedented amount of people delaying their mortgage, deferring their mortgage, and they had up to 180 days at a time, so up to 360 days total to delay their mortgage payments if it, if it was backed by um, a federal agency such as Freddie or Fannie, um, you know, Fannie Mae. But after this, it turned out like we also have a bunch of Americans who have accumulated a lot of home equity in their homes. We're seeing an all-time high of $6.5 during the pandemic. And it's it's so interesting because on one hand, you have all these Americans who are struggling to pay their rent, are struggling to pay their mortgage, but then you have a handful of Americans who are stable in their jobs, who have so much um, wealth accumulation in their homes and can really tap into it. So you kind of see a big gap in housing wealth. And what is, I mean, housing wealth, why is that important? Like, what does that mean for an American if you have that wealth? Yeah, so let's say, you know, let's say there's a couple living in a home together and one of them loses a job. Well, they do have to make their paycheck stretch thin. They might have a lot of debt expenses and things of that nature. So by tapping into your home equity, let's say you want to take a cash out refinance, you can, you know, take some of that wealth that's built up in your home and use that to pay off your debt. And it's just, you know, because you've already accumulated that wealth, it's just an extra safety cushion. And this is obviously only available if you do have a home. And it's also available if I would say, you know, some someone has a job in your home too, because if you don't, if you have lost your job, you essentially can't even really tap into your home equity. And then about like 35% or so, I'm just kind of spitballing here, of Americans don't own their homes. So they're renters. And here they are during a pandemic and home prices are rising, probably confoundingly enough for them and making it harder for them even to get into um, a home if they wanted to buy one. Yes. it. You know, there's a statistic out there that shows that basically – if the median net home net worth of homeowners is around 2300 um 231,000 and that of renters is 5200 you have a huge gap and a lot of renters most of their paycheck goes towards renting so as home values go up and these people who are very um rent burdened you know, it's just making them even harder to buy a home. And now we're in an era where housing supply across the nation is short by like two, three million units. And this was way earlier in the year. So who knows what it is now? Um, 
there's so many obstacles preventing people from buying a home. Affordability is one, people losing their jobs, and then just how, yeah, just the supply there. Now I want to turn to the savings rate. And Denise, this is something that's been interesting because it's remained really, really high during this time of economic uncertainty. And I can imagine some people who still remain employed, like, for example, me, um, are able to sock away more money during this time because we aren't dining out as much, if at all. We're not going on big trips to Europe. We're not doing other entertainment stuff like concerts or sporting events that cost money. So I'm saving money. But what else is behind the savings rate? And are you seeing um, a difference between higher earners and lower income Americans? Yeah, for sure. As you said, the saving rate is still very, very high. So currently 17.8%, which we have to say it's down from, um, I think the highest was 19%. So it's going down. But, you know, um, a lot of people are saying that, um, you know, we have a high savings rate. That means that a lot of people have a lot of money that is um, not spent in the economy. But I think when we're talking about savings rate, we really have to break down um, this by income bracket. And while we don't really have um, the data of, you know, which income bracket is saving how much and what what their specific saving rate is, we do know... um, we had a great data. It was uh, from JP Morgan and it was breaking the spending by low income, middle income and high income earners. And what we saw throughout this pandemic is that high income earners are not spending nearly as much as they did in before the pandemic. And as you said, a big part of this is discretionary spending. So, you know, they don't go on vacations. Um, they don't fly. They didn't go to as many restaurants. Restaurants are Um, opening just now there it's more capacity so they don't really spend that much money uh and maybe they're spending and maybe they have much more savings than they did before uh but but it seems to be the high income earners that are driving that savings rate and we can't say that it's oh you know low income earners have plenty of savings and another another evidence for that is we really saw a lot of data on how um, the stimulus checks were spent. And what mm. you see is like the the lower you are um, in, in the income ladder, the more of your check has gone to bills, um, has gone to supporting your family and, you know, just basic necessities. And then the higher you go, you see that people tend to have saved a little more. So my point is the fact that we have um, high savings rate doesn't mean that low income earners have savings. What what I've heard from economists, it's that we probably see the similar inequality in the savings rate where, you know, high income earners have saved more while um, low income earners um, are struggling. And especially now, like during the pandemic, we have unprecedented government support, really high um, unemployment benefits, stimulus checks, and this has expired. And now there is very limited government support. So it's a difficult time for low-income earners. Me and Denitza, you know, we were talking to different types of people. She had really looked into someone who was on the lower end of, you know, income scale. And I looked at someone who's on the higher end of the income scale. And it was so interesting to see that, yeah, both of them had their own unique struggles during the pandemic. But obviously, um, my the person that I interviewed, Marissa Friedman, she actually 
the more I talked to her, I realized that she had already had properties um, under her under her belt. You know, her husband had a job too during this pandemic. So when her business was failing, even though she was able to navigate and you know start a new business that became profitable and kind of save herself during the pandemic, she already had all this cushion. So um, it's even whether you're, you know, a low income earner or a high income earner, the recovery is going to look really different for both of you. And I think I remember from the story, Dara, that she even talked about how much money she was able to save because she wasn't going out to eat and because she wasn't doing work lunches and things like that. Right. Yeah. So basically she was, she was saying that she was saving a couple thousands of dollars just by not you know, eating out with her friends and things that nature. And this was on a monthly basis. And what was so interesting from her anecdote was that she, from the very beginning, even though, you know, she had all this financial support, she lived in a townhouse in San, um, in California. And she saw her friends who had moved to higher, wealthier houses, um, kind of downsized, so it was just a very interesting experience for her to see that all her friends who had bought these big homes downsized as they were struggling during the pandemic while she stayed in her townhouse, accumulated over you know $500,000 in equity over the years and has really been in a stable position. Right. And then, Denisa, you interviewed someone who lost a job um, in restaurant business, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. Her- she was working in... Yeah. Right. And her savings um, situation was a lot different. Yeah. Um, so what, what she told me is that she hardly has any savings now. And she so um, she used to get the 600 under the CARES Act. And that was supporting her income uh, very well throughout the pandemic. But now she doesn't get them. And she gets very little uh, in unemployment benefits. I think the total is around 300 and something a month. So. Um, and That's the, very little. Yeah, it, it, it helps her cover only a small part of her rent. So it's a very difficult situation. Um, and uh, so she's going to use the rest of her savings to try paying the rent for September. Uh, and then she'll see how things are from now on. Uh, but yeah, we see a clear example of, um, you know, maybe some of those low income, middle income people saved some of the money. But with the, the additional benefits expiring, they're probably going to spend that savings that, that is already very limited on next month's rent or the bill for next month because they suddenly saw um, a big squeeze um, in their income. Right, right. And so, again, what we're trying to highlight is like we see some of these narratives that show that an economy, our economy is doing better. We're looking at the stock market. You look at housing prices, the savings rate, and these all on the surface seem like very very good things, very positive things for the economy. But just because that's happening, that doesn't mean, as you guys are pointing out, that all Americans are being lifted um, from these from these things. And you just have to really look at the unemployment rate and the jobless claims every week to know that there is definitely many Americans who are still struggling. And Denisa, you talked to a couple of people, experts that's really showed how the people who are struggling now is different from past recessions. 
Um, for sure. So one thing about unemployment uh, is we still haven't recovered 60% of the jobs that have been lost um, since the start of the pandemic. So the recovery there is not even halfway through. We have a very long way to go. And what we see is uh, in this recession compared to other recessions, um, here the ser- servicing industry was hit immediately and very hard which uh, from what I've heard from economists, usually it happens that manufacturing and construction are hit very hard um, uh, in uh, previous recessions. And the difference is that manufacturing and construction generally hold um, jobs that are a bit more high paying. Um, While here we got, uh, in the service industry, we've got a lot of low income people working into. Um, so them losing jobs is a very difficult situation and hit for low-income earners. And another thing we see is that that service industry sector is really hard to recover because we still have a public health crisis. And, you know, for any service sector, that's, that's a very big thing that they can't fully return to what they were until there is, uh, until we're out of this public, um, public health crisis. And another thing that we see is we see very different unemployment rates uh, for whites, black, and Hispanics. Mm. Um, uh, so for black, the unemployment rate is 14.6%. For Hispanic, is 12.9%. And for white workers, is 92 So a really huge difference and an even distribution uh, for unemployment. So we're seeing this um, this divide between you know, those who are recovering and those not, not just from um, an income point of view, but also there is a um, racial or ethnicity component as well. Yes. And, you know, if you just, even if you look at the Federal Reserve data, the distribution of household wealth, you see that as of this year, like the latest data is showing that 80.4% of, you know, um, the real estate goes to white Americans. And then for black Americans, that number is only 5.3%. For Hispanic, that number is only 5.1%. So it's just a really big gap. Yeah. And so this is a gap that existed already. And now this pandemic and the economic ramifications from it is only making it worse. So if I'm looking forward at this income inequality that the pandemic is exacerbating. What do experts expect as we go on and we struggle through this pandemic and wait until we can get past this crisis? Well, I spoke to um, one of uh, one economist who actually, um, she worked at the Federal Reserve for a very long time and she was specifically looking at personal income and uh, wealth distribution. And while we don't have the data for the second quarter, um, she told me that it's very likely for us to see wealth inequality increase. Uh, and for for the reasons we talked about, high income earners, um, wealth is increasing due to rising stocks, home prices, while um, low income earners are getting into even more difficult positions with expiring government support and still very high levels of unemployment. Um, so, yeah, we can see really big inequality, but there is another thing that is important that maybe this is preventable or at least um, creating a gap between high income, uh, high income earners and low income earners 
can be reduced if there is more government support. Uh, and we, we really saw like very high personal income levels um, in the second quarter, even as, as the GDP was shrinking, all uh, government e- economic indicators were really negative. But we actually saw people being in a good state in terms of their income. Um, so that said, it, it may take low, low income earners six months or a year to recover. We see a lot of people who may remain in long term unemployment. So uh, for those people who either can't find a job or are maybe at high risk and can return to their job, what can prevent them from um, losing even more wealth and being in even more unequal position in society is um, to have more government support. While for uh, high income earners, as I've said, with uh, they've pretty much recovered. And some of them, even the person we interviewed for the story, is they're already gaining more wealth uh, than they did before the pandemic. And um, so let me talk about the government support, because both of you have been covering this um, in, in different aspects. So, um, Denise, I know you've been, ta- been looking at, you know, extra new stimulus, new round of stimulus checks, if that's going to happen. Also expanded unemployment benefits um, since they expired at the end of July. And then, Dara, you've been looking at from uh, eviction and foreclosures and some moratoriums on those for renters and homeowners. So, Denise, starting with you, Denise, can you give us the rundown on what's happening in the government support for stimulus checks and unemployment? And then, Dara, follow up on the eviction portion. So what we have uh, on unemployment so far, the president signed a memorandum on August, on August 8th um, about extending the unemployment benefits, uh, which we have to say it's some health help, but the problem is it's very limited. There are a few aspects of it. So it may last just three weeks. Um, it also is just 300. There are five states that they're going to pay 400, but that is a significant drop from the 600 people received under the CARES Act. Um, And then the other thing, it's very uneven throughout the country. Uh, So what we see is, for example, people in South Dakota, their governor declined the extra benefit, so they will get no extra benefit, while, say, someone in Vermont will get 400 of extra benefits. So, you know, that could, that could lead to a lot of different problems. So that where, that's where we are with unemployment. Um, Mnuchin yesterday uh, said that he, the Treasury Secretary, he supports uh, more unemployment. He's been one of the key figures representing the White House in the negotiations. So, you know, when he's been vocal about supporting one of the provisions, they, they have had um, good success of, uh, you know, turning into real policy. Um, so we may see more unemployment. The numbers are in questions. Um, but for stimulus checks, stimulus checks is an interesting provision because both parties seem to agree. This is one of the few provisions where we kind of see very, very similar proposals on uh, both, side, b- both sides of the aisle. And uh, still people didn't get a stimulus check. And negotiations... Mm, we may see some progress uh, after Labor's Day, after after Labor Day, but for now, um, there is really no progress. Again, uh, Mnuchin, his testimony, he he expressed his continued support for stimulus checks. So this may be something that we'll see, but depending on the timing, it may have a very difficult result or on people's personal income and consumption. And then Dara about evictions. 
Yeah. So recently, um, you know, there was a study that came out that saw that 30 to 40 million people can be at risk of getting kicked out of their properties by, you know, end of this year. And there was a lot of frenzy after President Trump had signed an executive order earlier um, in August about, well, he had directed kind of responsibility towards different agencies like the CDC, HUD. And the question was, well, this responsibility to kind of extend the federal moratorium falls on these agencies, but no action had been made until yesterday in a White House press call. It was confirmed that the CDC does have, um, will extend the moratorium, will have the authority from their perspective to extend the moratorium all the way to December 31st. The interesting part of this is, yeah, rent is deferred um, until December 31st, but when January is going to come around, you know, you're still going to owe that rent. So the only the only way I'm seeing that there would be additional protections is after January 31st, what are different states going to do on an individual basis? You know, we saw states like New York really extend their protections, but there's a handful of states who haven't. So it's, you know, there's a big ground here for financial struggles and inequality to continue when it comes to renting and evictions. Like there's not um, a complete blanket of security here. Right. And as you guys have said, that security, those protections are really key to helping um, close that gap between the recovery between higher earners and lower earners. Um, that was all very interesting. Thank you, Dara and Denitza, for joining us today on Money Honestly. And thank you for everyone listening. Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. We'll see you next week. <laughs>